to the Artist Plunge podcast, a podcast exploring the curious relationship between artists and the other professions, jobs, and experiences that have allowed them to plunge into the art they create. I'm your host, Christy Darnell Batani. Today, I want to start by wishing everyone a belated Happy Public Domain Day 2022. In case you missed it, on January 1st, 2022, copyrighted works from the year 1926 entered the U.S. public domain, where they are free for all to copy, share, and build upon. The lineup this year is stunning. It includes books such as A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh, Felix Salton's Bambi, Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, works from Langston Hughes' The Weary Blues, and Dorothy Parker's Enough Rope. There are scores of silent films, including titles featuring Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton, and Greta Garbo, famous Broadway songs, and well-known jazz standards. But that's not all. In 2022, we get a bonus. An estimated 400,000 sound recordings from before 1923 will be entering the public domain, too. Our artist word sharing today comes from the Duke Law Center of Public Domain Day, which publishes an excellent blog on all things public domain, at least as they relate to public domain and copyright in the United States. As a quick aside for our listeners outside the U.S., the copyright terms in other countries are different, and our discussion today applies only to works created in the United States. But first, what is the public domain? Let's ask the Center of Public Domain Day. According to their site, the public domain is the realm of material, ideas, images, sounds, discoveries, facts, texts, that is unprotected by intellectual property rights and is free for all to use or build upon. It includes our collective cultural and scientific heritage and the raw materials for future expression, research, democratic dialogue, and education. Materials in the public domain are free for use with no permission required. So what kind of things are in the public domain? Facts and ideas are always in the public domain. Anyone is free to use a good idea. Creative works and inventions whose copyright or patent terms have expired are also in the public domain. Take, for example, the literary classics Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Pinocchio, The Little Mermaid, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, or fairy tales by the Brothers Grimm. Disney was free to use these stories in its beloved animations because their copyrights had lapsed. Generally, works published in 1926 and before are in the public domain. But copyright's tricky and filled with bizarre nuances, which would enable some pre-1926 works to still be copyrighted if their initial publication was unauthorized. For example, the oldest work still under copyright may be a 1755 letter from John Adams to Nathan Webb. The letter was not published until 1956, so for technical reasons I will not go into, its copyright won't expire until 2052, almost 300 years after its creation. Crazy stuff. So why should we, as artists or art lovers, care about the public domain? Artists of all kinds rely on the public domain. Homer's The Odyssey has given us Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Joyce's Ulysses, and the Coen brothers' O Brother, Where Art Thou?, to name only a few. And the 12-bar blues influence genres from country to jazz to soul to rock and roll. Journalists and activists use facts and symbols in the public domain to inform the public and spur debate. Wikipedia relies on public domain information and images. Hoppias screen forgotten films and collect old recordings. Commercial publishers reprint public domain works and sell them at discounted prices. 
Teachers, libraries, museums, historians, archivists, and database operators use the public domain to collect, preserve, and teach us about our past. Scientific and technical research would be impossible without access to data and discoveries. Youth orchestras and church choirs perform public domain works for their communities. The list goes on. Chances are you've used, enjoyed, and depended on the public domain as well. But back to our Public Domain Day celebration, 2022 is a very special public domain year. In 2022, the public domain will welcome a lot of firsts. The first Winnie the Pooh book from A.A. Milne. The first published novels from Ernest Hemingway and William Faulkner. The first books of poems from Langston Hughes and Dorothy Parker. And what's more, for the first time ever, thanks to a 2018 law called the Music Modernization Act, a special category of works, sound recordings, will finally begin to join other works in the public domain. On January 1, 2022, the gates opened for all of the recordings that have been waiting in the wings. Decades of recordings made from the advent of sound recording technology through the end of 1922, and estimated at some 400,000 works, will be open for legal reuse. But why should we celebrate the public domain? Let's hear from the Duke Law Center of Public Domain Day. When works go into the public domain, they can legally be shared without permission or fee. That is something Winnie the Pooh would appreciate. Community theaters can screen the films. Youth orchestras can perform the music publicly without paying licensing fees. Online repositories such as the Internet Archive and Google Books can make works fully available online. This helps enable access to cultural materials that might otherwise be lost to history. 1926 was a long time ago. The vast majority of works from 1926 are out of circulation. When they enter the public domain in 2022, anyone can rescue them from obscurity and make them available, where we can all discover, enjoy, and breathe new life into them. The public domain is also a wellspring for creativity. The whole point of copyright is to promote creativity, and the public domain plays a central role in doing so. Copyright law gives authors important rights that encourage creativity and distribution. This is a very good thing. But it also ensures that these rights last for a limited time, so that when they expire, works go into the public domain, where future authors can legally build on the past, reimagining the books, making them into films, adapting the songs and movies. That's a good thing, too. As explained in the New York Times editorial, when a work enters the public domain, it means the public can afford to use it freely, to give it new currency. Public work domains are an essential part of every artist's sustenance, of every person's sustenance. Just as Shakespeare works have given us everything from 10 Things I Hate About You and Kiss Me Kate, all from The Taming of the Shrew, to West Side Story from Romeo and Juliet, who knows what the works entering the public domain in 2022 might inspire? As with Shakespeare, the ability to freely reimagine these works may spur a range of creativity, from the serious to the whimsical, and in doing so allow the original artist's legacies to endure. A little backstory. Most of the works that became available this year were supposed to go into the public domain in 2002, after being copyrighted for 75 years. But before this could happen, Congress hit a 20-year pause button and extended their copyright term to 95 years. But now the wait is over. So let's hear some of this year's notable public domain entries. Drumroll, please. Let's start with books. 
Some of the entrants are, as we've mentioned, A.A. Milne, Winnie the Pooh, with illustrations by E.H. Shepard. Ernest Hemingway, The Sun Also Rises. Dorothy Parker, Enough Rope, her first collection of poems. Langston Hughes, The Weary Blues. T.E. Lawrence, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, later adapted into the film Lawrence of Arabia. Felix Salton, Bambi, A Life in the Woods. And the list goes on. What a list. There's a lot to be excited about. Beloved children's characters, an iconic story of the lost generation after World War I, poetry from a central figure in the Harlem Renaissance and pioneer of the blues and jazz aesthetic, and clever verse from the wittiest woman in America. Note that in all of these cases, what is going into the public domain are the specific works from 1926, not the later books, movies, or translations based on the original books or all of the other work by that author. So while you will be free to use the material from an original Winnie the Pooh book, not every Pooh story, or Disney movie, or Hemingway novel, or Langston Hughes poem, is entering the public domain. Moving on to sound recordings. In 2022, experts estimate that some 400,000 sound recordings published before 1923 will enter the public domain, They will become free for all to download, remix, or use in a soundtrack. First, we need to understand that U.S. copyright law treats musical compositions and sound recordings differently. A composition consists of the lyrics and music that you might see on a piece of sheet music. A sound recording is the embodiment of a particular performance of that composition fixed on media such as vinyl records or on digital audio files. So, for example, if I write a song called Art Plunge Fun and you record it, I get the copyright over the composition and you get a copyright over your recording of my song. U.S. copyright law has covered composition since 1831, but it did not add the sound recording right until February 15, 1972. The new right only covered recordings made from that date onward leaving recordings made before 1972 subject to a confusing patchwork of state laws, with nothing becoming public domain until 2067. The 2018 Music Modernization Act brought all of these pre-1972 recordings under federal law and set a timeline for older recordings to gradually enter the public domain. The first big date of the Music Modernization Act release was January 1, 2022, when a trove of recordings finally went into the public domain. Yes, these recordings are a century or more old, but better late than never. So what sound recordings will we celebrate in 2022? Everything from experiments with nascent sound recording technology in the late 1800s, to opera, classical music, early blues and jazz, vaudeville, ragtime, popular songs, and comedy sketches. I encourage you to go to the Library of Congress National Jukebox to explore the collection. A link will be in the show notes. And please note that only the pre-1923 recordings by these artists are entering to the public domain, not their later recordings. So, some of the sound recordings entering the public domain? Mamie Smith and her jazz hounds, Crazy Blues, Don't Care Blues, That Thing Called Love, and You Can't Keep a Good Man Down. Ethel Waters with Down Home Blues and There'll Be Some Changes Made. Billy Murray, Give My Regards to Broadway, and Alexander's Ragtime Band. Enrico Caruso, performances from operas such as La Traviata. The Sousa Band, The Star-Spangled Banner. Fanny Bryce, My Man, and Al Jolson, Swanee. These recordings reintroduce us to some legendary figures. 
There are incredible artists such as Mamie Smith and Ethel Waters who paved the way for generations to follow and in Waters' case became a proud icon for the LGBTQ community. You can hear the first tracks from a legendary opera singer Enrico Caruso or the cellist Pablo Casals. Even on a scratchy recording from over 100 years ago, the magic comes through with all of these artists. There are recordings from Fanny Bryce, the real-life funny girl portrayed by Barbara Streisand. There is the multi-talented Sophie Tucker, called the last of the Red Hot Mamas. Burt Williams was the first black artist to break through the color barrier and star in a leading role on Broadway. Kid Ori recorded the first commercially released tracks by a New Orleans African-American jazz band. You can hear Europe's Society Orchestra, the first African-American orchestra to have their work recorded, and Cuban-born conductor Max Dolan directing his orchestra for La Colondrina. For us, these recordings provide an oral time capsule, a way of capturing fragments of the past. You can browse early pop stars from Bill Murray to Harry Lauder, or hear John Philip Sousa's marches. But you also get a glimpse of the politics of the time. Some of our favorites include songs about women's suffrage. She's good enough to be your baby's mother, and she's good enough to vote with you. And comic laments about prohibition, such as Burt Williams' Everybody Wants a Key to My Cellar. Rediscovering the incredible early recordings of African-American artists is also an occasion for more somber reflection. They were recording at a time of legally enforced segregation and the shameful tradition of minstrel shows. Many of the songs from the era contain racist language and demeaning and misleading stereotypes. There was also rampant exploitation of black talent. Black musicians were routinely excluded from copyrights benefits and denied both recognition and compensation for their work. The artists in this list were unusual in that they gained some recognition for their contributions in the face of a colossally unfair system, but that does not mean they were treated fairly. Discrimination, lopsided contracts, and an exclusionary music business deprived many of these artists of their compensation their works originally deserved. Now on to the movies. What pops into the public domain this year? To name a few, Battling Butler, starring Buster Keaton, The Son of the Sheik, starring Rudolph Valentino, The Temptress, starring Greta Garbo, and Don Juan, the first feature-length film to use the Vitaphone sound system. Some of the films on the list include performances by the great Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton, Rudolph Valentino, and Greta Garbo. Moana is a work of docufiction filmed in Samoa by Robert Flaherty, who made the famous 1922 film Nanook of the North. Copyright buffs will remember the Coens and Kellys from the famous copyright case Nichols versus Universal, in which Judge Learned Hand, that really was his name, by the way, said, among other things, that stock characters are not copyright. The movie Faust is a German expressionist take on the eponymous play by Goethe. Because Goethe's play was already in the public domain, the filmmakers were free to reimagine it. And that barring went in more than one direction, because one of the scenes in Faust inspired this strikingly similar Night on Bald Mountain that we see in Disney's Fantasia. Next category, musical compositions. Every piece of recorded music is covered by two distinct copyrights, one over the original composition, the words in the music, and the second over the actual recording of the song. We already talked about sound recordings before 1923 entering the public domain. Here are some of the compositions from 1926 that will be joining them. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes by Irving Berlin. Black Bottom Stomp by Jelly Roll Morton. Someone to Watch Over Me, George Gershwin. Are You Lonesome Tonight, Roy Turk and Lou Hanman. 
when the red, red robin comes bob, bob, bobbing along, Harry Woods. So all of this is just the tip of the melting iceberg. Many of the works we've talked about are famous. Their copyright holders benefited from 20 more years of copyright because the works had enduring popularity and were still earning royalties. But when Congress extended the copyright term for works like The Sun Also Rises, it also did so for all the works whose commercial viability had long subsided. For the mass majority, probably 99%, of works from 1926, no copyright holder financially benefited from continued copyright, yet they remained off-limits. A Congressional Research Service report indicated that only around 2% of copyrights between 55 and 75 years old retain commercial value. After 75 years, that percentage is even lower. Most older works are orphan works, meaning that the copyright owner cannot be found at all. Now that these works are in the public domain, anyone can make them available to the public. This enables access to our cultural heritage, access to materials that might otherwise be forgotten. As mentioned earlier, 1926 was a long time ago, and the majority of the works from that year are out of circulation. When they enter the public domain in 2022, anyone can republish or post them online. Studies have shown that public domain books are less expensive, available in more editions and formats, and more likely to be in print. The works we've identified are just the tip of the iceberg. Many more works are waiting to be rediscovered. Unfortunately, part of this iceberg has already melted. The fact that works from 1926 are legally available does not mean that they are actually available. After 95 years, many of these works are already lost or literally disintegrating, as with old films and recordings. Evidence of what long copyright terms do to the conservation of cultural artifacts. One of the films from 1926 was the original adaptation of The Great Gatsby, but that film has reportedly been lost to history. For the material that has survived, however, the long-awaited entry into the public domain is still something to celebrate. Another part of the melting iceberg includes work from 1926 and later that may already be in the public domain because the copyright owners did not comply with the formalities that used to be necessary for copyright protection. Back then, your work went into the public domain if you did not include a copyright notice when you published it. For example, copyright 1926, Ernest Hemingway. Or if you did not renew the copyright after 28 years. It was all very technical, I have to say. Current copyright law no longer has these requirements. But even though these works might technically be in the public domain, as a practical matter, the public often has to assume they're still copyrighted or risk a lawsuit because the relevant copyright information is difficult to find. Older records can be fragmentary, confused, or lost. That's why Public Domain Day is so significant. On January 1st of each year, the public knows what works are free for use without tedious or inconclusive research. So now, works from 1926 are finally entering the public domain after a 95-year copyright term. However, under the laws that were in effect until 1978, thousands of works from 1965 would have been entering the public domain this year. In fact, since copyright used to come in renewable terms of 28 years, and 85% of the authors did not renew, 85% of the works from 1993 might be entering the public domain today. Imagine what the great libraries of the world or just internet hobbyists could do. Digitizing these holdings, making them available for education and research, for pleasure, for creative reuse. But under the current copyright terms, we will have to wait until 2061 for those to become available. 
So what about visual art? We don't hear as much about it in the copyright world. In February 2020, the Smithsonian launched an unprecedented 2.8 million digital items into the public domain, allowing anyone to reuse and share the assets without needing to ask for permission. The Smithsonian Open Access offers people the opportunity to explore millions of 2D and 3D images and data, including still images, text, audio recordings, and more. Because they're free of copyright restrictions, anyone can use them for any purpose free of charge. The Smithsonian calls the designation Creative Commons Zero, CC Zero, using the CC Zero to let people know that the digital assets copyright has been waived and that they don't need the museum's permission to download, use, and share the items. CC Zero is the nonprofit that is dedicated to making knowledge, creativity, and cultural accessible across the globe. The CCO provides licenses that give museums and other organizations public domain tools and a standard to grant copyright permissions. The Smithsonian's impressive public domain art launch isn't the first time a prominent museum has given the public unrestricted access to their art collection and adopted the CC0 license for their public domain works. One of the pioneers of the public domain art movement is the Walters Art Museum. In 2007, the Baltimore-based museum started uploading images online, allowing users to download works from their collection. The organization believed that their digital images extend the reach of the museum and chose to make digital images of artworks believed to be in the public domain available for use without limitation, rights, and royalty-free. By 2011, a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts allowed the Walters Art Museum to upgrade their website and digitize about a third of their entire collection. The website presented over 10,000 artworks to the public to view and download for free without copyright restriction. Taking inspiration from the Walters Art Museum, the Getty Museum's open content project made 4,600 high-resolution images accessible for use to the public for free in 2013. The public domain works are for both commercial and non-commercial purposes, as long as the user attributes the museum properly. The impressive collection released into the public domain includes works by Van Gogh, Monet, Da Vinci, and Rembrandt. In 2014, the Metropolitan Museum of Art joined a growing number of museums that made their works available on the public domain for free. The initiative is called Open Access for Scholarly Content, or OASC, and allows the public to directly download over 400,000 high-resolution digital works from the Met's encyclopedic collection. By 2017, the Met had more than 375,000 public domain images. The organization also adopted a new policy called Open Access, that allowed the public to use the artworks for both scholarly and commercial use. Open Access also uses the CC0 designation, making the images freely available and with no restrictions. So if you're a visual artist, what about copying, using, or imitating someone else's visual artwork in your own work? Well, that falls into the thorny area of appropriation art, which warrants a whole episode in itself. More on that later. For now, thank you to the Duke Law Center of Public Domain Day and its director and clinical professor of law, Jennifer Jenkins, for sharing this blog post with us. A link to this post and more insightful information from the center will be in the show notes. The work of the center is really valuable. As Jennifer says, we try to convey that copyright is incredibly important. Robust rights are a wonderful thing, but that the eventual entry of works into the public domain is also a key part of how the system promotes creativity and access. I am personally a huge proponent of educating artists on their rights as creators and users of artistic works. For too long, artists have taken a backseat to corporate drivers, 
and I think it is up to all of us to understand our rights and maintain control over how our work is seen, heard, and shared. A lot to ponder for a willy-nilly silly old bear, which brings us back to what will happen to the multi-billion dollar franchise that is Winnie the Pooh. Will there be a war between the Pooh brand and the public domain? Hmm, something to watch and think about. That's it for today. We'll end with the sage advice of that chubby little bear. You can't stay in your corner of the forest waiting for others to come to you. You have to go to them sometimes. Think about that. But until next week, stay kind, stay positive, keep swimming. And like Eeyore says, it never hurts to keep looking for sunshine. 